You're listening to the Vice Chancellor's Hour, a ministry of Radio ABC 993 FM on the campus of African Bible University. I'm Jeremiah Pitts, a professor and administrator here at the African Bible University in Uganda. The purpose of Vice Chancellor's Hour is to provide biblical and theological teachings that are an extension of the ministry of the university. Welcome back. It's so great to be with you for another episode of the Vice Chancellor's Hour, going through an exciting series on leadership, leadership in the Bible. The Bible's not a textbook. A lot of times people act like it is, or maybe sometimes even want it to be, but that's not how God arranged it for us, and He arranged it for us very well. And so if you're going to the Bible looking for a textbook on leadership, you won't find it. It does have a lot of instruction and advice about leadership, and it also gives us a lot of examples of leadership in action. And for this series, what we're doing is we're looking at particular stories in the Bible, and we're examining them as case studies. So a case study zooms in in a particular person, a particular business, a particular opportunity, and tries to draw information from something that's complicated and real life moves you out of the theoretical and into the practical, if you want to put it into modern terminology. And in this series, we've looked at both good and bad examples. We've looked at Jonathan and his father, King Saul, both of whom were leaders, one a much better leader than the other. And we took a little bit of time to see how God led. We're looking at a new character today, Barnabas. And Barnabas is a a real man from the New Testament described mostly in the book of Acts, although he does pop up a few other places as well. Today we're looking at a passage from the book of Acts, particularly Acts chapter 11, verses 19, all the way up to verse 30. This is one particular episode in Barnabas's life, and we're zooming in mostly there, and I would encourage you to read the whole passage for yourself. Well, I'll quote verses from it, but the center of today's teaching is Acts 11, 24 and 25, where it says, Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now, I think you probably know, but in case you're a listener who doesn't, the Saul that's mentioned here in this story, his name is Saul, but he is more popularly known as Paul. He, in fact, is begun to be called that name just shortly after this episode, a couple chapters later. So I don't want that to be confusing, a very different Saul from our previous episodes, which I would encourage you to listen to. If you're listening on the radio, Radio ABC 993 FM, thank you so much, and we appreciate you listening. I hope this is a help to you. We have a lot of episodes available for free at the VC Hour, vchour.buzzsprout.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can get all the episodes for free. And we're so very thankful. I think we've had uh, well over 13,000 downloads now beyond what we have from radio listeners and growing. And anyway, Lord bless you guys. I appreciate that. But to get back to our lesson for today on leadership and Barnabas, just want to tell you a little bit about Barnabas. He's not someone that people tend to know as much about. Barnabas isn't his real name. It's like a nickname he was given. His real name is Joseph. He was a Jewish man, as most of the early church was. We know he's from the tribe of Levi and from the island of Cyprus. So he's not originally from Jerusalem, although we do pick him up 
in Jerusalem. There was actually a large population of Jewish people on the Isle of Cyprus at the time. And it seems that his aunt, whose name was Mary, and his cousin, whose name was John Mark, also lived in Jerusalem as well. We can find that in places like Acts 12 and Colossians 4.10. We know Barnabas had some wealth. He owned some property, which means he probably came from some means. And he was rather physically imposing. He was mistaken at one point for the Greek god Zeus when he was dealing with people who were pagans. So he's probably an older man, a more fatherly appearance, but also a larger man. And the scriptures are quite clear that he was a man of good character. He had generosity of spirit, which is where he gets the name Barnabas from. He's an encourager, and he's said to be a good man, to be full of the Holy Spirit, and to be full of faith. We're looking today at this passage in the Bible in Acts 11, where Barnabas has been sent. And in fact, I would say one of the things that we are able to see in this passage is that good leaders often operate with an objective or within an objective. To give you a little backstory on what's happening in Acts 11, the church at that time was almost exclusively people of Jewish descent. And there was a question in the church at the time of whether or not the gospel was going to go out to the Gentiles as well. Very happily, I think for myself, being a Gentile, the Lord decided to reach out, as he had promised to do in his prophecies, not just primarily to the Jews, but also to the Gentile populations as well. Praise be to God. That's why I'm here with you today on the radio or wherever you're listening. And for many of you who are within listening for me, you can say praise be to God, because that's why you know the gospel is for you as well. That's not to say that there were no Gentile believers before. Of course, there's a lot of records of those, some of whom are even in Jesus's genealogy. But the main emphasis that we see at the time was primarily working through a particular people of God that we often refer to as the Jewish people. As that was obviously changing and this question arose, how do we include the Gentiles we find this incident in Acts 11. They've already received some encouragement that it's a good and right thing, and they hear that some Jewish people who have settled in Antioch, who are Christians, are beginning to preach not only to other Jewish people, but are beginning to preach and teach to the non-Jewish population as well. And so the church at Jerusalem sent out Barnabas. That's what it says. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. He was sent with a mission. He went to go there to see what exactly is going on in the church. Is it good? Is it for our good? And is it really the Lord that's working there, or is that something that people are just saying is happened? So we see in this then that though Barnabas has authority, and we'll see that authority operating, he is sent with an objective, and he operates within that objective. That is, he is given a task to do, and his job as a good leader is to be sure that that objective is done. He's not sent just generally to do whatever he thinks is best in whatever way he thinks is best, but specifically to stay within his calling. Not only that, but as is often the case, he has his leadership approved by the correct authorities. Now, here's a point where we have to be a bit careful. You are not a leader simply because you have the responsibility to lead. 
and that may seem confusing to you, but let me say it a little bit differently and perhaps it will be more obvious to you. There are people who believe that they are leaders as a result of having a title given to them. So say, for instance, if you were in the military and they told you that you were a, a leader of other people, say they say you're a, a lieutenant or a captain or so forth and, and, and above. Well, that title, of course, tells you that you have a responsibility to lead, but the title itself does not make you functionally a leader. People, in the end, do not follow titles. People follow leaders, and those are not the same thing. And you'll also find, of course, sometimes people lead with no title. That is, they have the right qualities and characteristics and step up at the right time and function as a leader though no one has ever given them a proper title. So I don't want that to be confusing. However, oftentimes we receive the opportunity and responsibility to lead from others. It is a type of approval that you're the right person for the job. Now, their assessment of you may be right or it may be wrong, but once you've been given the responsibility to lead, it's a failure of your character to then fail to do the objective, that is to lead. So titles may give you the responsibility of leadership, but they do not make you a leader. A leader is based on how you operate, your qualities, your characteristics, and your actions. Here we see that this leader, as most leaders are, is sent by the correct authorities to do a job within their calling. And we're happy to say Barnabas does it very well. Secondly, we see good leaders are glad when things are good. Good leaders are glad when things are good. It says here, when he came, that Barnabas is doing his job, he came, he saw the grace of God, and he was glad. Now, you might say, Pitts, of course he's glad when things are good. But actually, in my experience, when you're sent to do something as a leader, many people assume that means they need to change everything. There was a period of time in which I was at a university, and in a very short period of time, I went through several top-level leaders. And I noticed in a very short period of time something that I thought was probably true, but because leadership at these big institutions normally cycles slowly, I had not been able to witness a lot myself. Now, after the fact, I've done a lot of reading on academic leadership, and I found that this is a known problem. And the problem is this. Every time a new leader came, the new leader believed they could not be happy about what was good, they could not leave things in place, but they had to come as though they needed to change everything. Now, in my particular case, there were things that needed to be changed and things that did not need to be changed, and I'll give them full deference that at their level, they may have seen and known more than I did at my level at the time. However, when you see everyone attempting to change everything all the time, you reach the conclusion that probably they're more committed to changing things than they are to changing what is necessary. If you come as a leader, don't be disappointed to find that some things are good. It's very likely that you have some components which are good components, and they are right components. And as best you're able, you should try to not mess with those things. Do not disturb them. 
but instead be very happy. And I can tell you on the receiving end, as someone who was in, you might call it middle management at the time, it was often the case that I wish they had seen the good things and had mentioned the good things. It was my responsibility to do that, and I tried my best to at the time, and I, I still try to do that to this day. It will be so encouraging to your people, even in the midst of change, even hard changes, to know that you do see that some things are good. Barnabas could have showed up to Antioch and begun flipping over tables and changing everything. But if he had done that, he would not have been doing what he was sent to do, which is to rescue or protect what's good and to change or inform that which was bad. So part of your job as a leader, of course, is to encourage good, and that I think includes celebrating it. So good leaders encourage others when things are good. They're happy about it. Good leaders also encourage others to do things well. You see this in the passage where it says, He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. There's two pieces to this. I think one has to do with the nature of that word exhort. Maybe you're not so familiar with exhortation, and I don't intend here to give you a technical definition except to say, when we exhort others, it is to encourage them towards good works. So you're saying, You should do like this, be like this, believe like this, act like this. And so he does exhort them. Having seen what's good, he was glad. But then he goes on to exhort them, that is to encourage them, to point them in the right direction, that they are to continue to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Another way of saying this is, you're doing this well, and it's very important that you keep doing it exactly this way. Stay on the path that you're on, doing things the way you're doing them. Don't take it for granted, but continue to work. That's the nature of exhortation. Another way of saying this is, don't be complacent even about the good things. That is, when you see something that's good, don't take it for granted but actually encourage people to keep doing it that way. We have to hold on to what's good. I think this is the complement to the idea that you're glad that it's good, and that is that you want people to continue doing it. Do you see how the opposite of both of these things is a leader who comes in indiscriminately changing everything because they have a system in their head that they're sure is going to work regardless of the details on the ground? Well, a much better leader like Barnabas would show up He would look to see what actually is working well, and he would encourage people to keep that even as he pushes them into new and to different directions. Don't give up on what you're doing well. Hold on to that. Not only that, but even though Barnabas was the one who was sent with authority, we see in the story that good leaders look for the right help. Good leaders look for the right help. This is what it says in the passage. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul when he found him. He brought him back. Now, this Saul that's mentioned here, as I said a few moments ago, is the Apostle Paul. He goes by both names. Paul, at this point, is not really a popular person. In fact, the Christian community wasn't really sure whether they were going to accept him or not. It was Barnabas who encouraged them to accept Paul and the work of Paul as the Holy Spirit was clearly working in and through him. So Barnabas was the one who stuck up for Paul, but Paul at this time was not nearly as trusted or respected as Barnabas was. Barnabas really was the number one to Saul's number two. 
And yet, in the ministry, it's clear Barnabas had seen something in Paul that encouraged him to believe that the man had some giftedness that could be helpful for his work there. And so, a good leader looked for the right help. That is, Barnabas went a ways out of his way to go find Paul again and to encourage him to come back and to work with him. I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but it's very true that in a human sense, without Barnabas being exactly the type of leader he was, you would never have the Apostle Paul. Paul would never have been accepted by the Council of Jerusalem. Paul never would have gone to Antioch where he was able to prove his gifts. He never would have been sent on this missionary journey with Barnabas. And as a result, we would not have all of the letters of Paul because he would not have planted those churches. In a human sense, Barnabas is the link between us and the Apostle Paul. And it all began by him taking him under his wing, bringing him back when he really was an untested commodity, and bringing him to a place where he could become impressive and trusted. In fact, ultimately, as you well know, It's Paul, actually, who increases through their relationship far more than Barnabas does. So a good leader looks for the right help. Can we agree that that Barnabas made a great decision by bringing the Apostle Paul under his wing? I think the results are clear for themselves. Leave him just with a lot of talent and knowledge and capabilities? No, it tells us that good leaders train as well. This is what it says. When he brought Paul back, it says, For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And for this, I think it's important for you to realize that there's actually two levels of training going on. The first level of training, I think, is fairly obvious from the text, and that is that the two of them are working with the people who are there to teach them. They are training them. As an aside, I recently encountered someone who spoke against teaching or against knowledge. And I found that very surprising because it's pretty clear that the Bible teaches that God gave us teachers. In fact, that's one of the gifts that he gave to the church is the gift of teaching. And he gave it to us with knowledge so that we could know things about him. And it's one of the things that's most precious to me is that we here teach the treasures of God's truth. That's the heart and soul of what we're doing. We think it is the most important thing that we're about. We think the treasures of God's truth need to be taught. Praise be to God, Barnabas and Paul believed they needed to be taught as well. So they didn't just find good things at Antioch or exhort them to continue in them, but they taught them even more than they already knew. You could expect that a group of people who were not familiar with the Old Testament in all likelihood probably had major gaps in their biblical knowledge, and Barnabas and especially Paul clearly have a lot of giftedness which can help them in precisely this type of situation. But you may notice also that the less seasoned Paul gets an opportunity to exhibit his gifts alongside the more seasoned and trusted Barnabas. Barnabas has been with the early church before Saul, before Paul, And he has been operating under their confines and with their direction for much, much longer. He is the right one with his experience and his abilities to bring a man alongside him who perhaps isn't as trusted, certainly isn't as tested, and to be able to demonstrate his giftedness under the tutelage, under the training of Barnabas himself. So he doesn't just bring 
Paul in for Paul to do the work, but Paul gets to see Barnabas doing the work. They are really working together. Good leaders train, whether it be the object of your mission, your objective, which is to train the people who are there, or whether it's training the help that you brought alongside, it is good and right for leaders to train the people under them. If you want people to do well, to do better, or to do differently, how will they do that if you don't teach them? I think that's true of everywhere and every place and every time. Certainly there are people who don't want to be taught, who are not interested in changing and so forth, but it's still our responsibility to make the attempt to show them the right way. Finally, good leaders have a real impact. At the end of the story, it doesn't just end with these guys teaching, but we find what they're taught is put in practice. Now, remember the chain of events here. The chain of events are that some Jewish Christians go to Antioch, preach to some non-Jewish people, and the church in Jerusalem sends Barnabas to check it out to make sure everything's okay, make sure there's no problems. At the end of the story, though, the church of Antioch finds out that there is going to be a problem in Jerusalem, that in fact they're not going to have enough food. And this is what it says. So the disciples determined, that is those leaders in the church there, determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. I love this picture so much. It's the leadership and the teaching and the example of Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Paul, that caused the church to receive this instruction and to respond appropriately. You might think of it this way, their labor was not in vain. They labored there, and the work produced fruit. In this case, quite literally, the people that once were the ones who were sending help instead are now receiving help. Those who were, in the beginning of the story, receiving help in the form of Barnabas are now sending help back through those hands in the form of food. It's really beautiful to me to see how the Lord works through the excellent leaders that he's equipped. Now, this isn't all of Barnabas's story. I, I do have a longer episode on that that you can go back and check out for yourself. But I do think it gives us a good picture of leadership that we find in this particular story on Barnabas, that good leaders operate with an objective, that good leaders are glad when things are good, that good leaders actually encourage others in doing things well, that the good leader actually looks for help along the way and will train that help and others as they go. And as a result, we should expect that good leaders have a real impact. I hope this has been helpful to you. Check in next week for another episode on leadership from the Bible. You're listening to the Vice Chancellor's Hour, a ministry of Radio ABC 993 FM on the campus of African Bible University. I'm Jeremiah Pitts, a professor and administrator here at the African Bible University in Uganda. The purpose of Vice Chancellor's Hour is to provide biblical and theological teachings that are an extension of the ministry of the university.